Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, we Let's start with a video that I watched of a future guest that I will never book. Okay. <laughs> Kevin Smith. Um, he put out a video this week with people that I was moved by where he talked about the fact that he recently had a mental breakdown and he checked himself into, I believe, some sort of like a rehabilitation clinic in Arizona uh, because like uh, he said, he was losing his mind. And through the therapy that he was getting there, he uncovered things that he thought were rather small that he has since learned were pivotal and impactful and affected his life and um, sort of precipitated this breakdown in order to begin to heal, which was one, that he had an encounter when he was little that uh, where like an older kid directed him to put his mouth on another kid's genitals um, and that was an adult walked past the alley and disrupted it, but it, it happened and he never shared that with anybody. Um, and that had, you know, he sort of detailed how that impacted him, but he told other stories as well about being in school and having a teacher say something to the effect of like, um, look at him and be like, you're disgusting because he was overweight. And uh, another time when he was at the water park about to go down a slide and someone said uh, no pregnant women on the slide and it's a 30 minute video you can watch it he's an incredible storyteller and he's he's a he's very sincere in his delivery um but he talks about the impact that it had on him and traces that he became a director directly to this feeling of the first sort of like i don't know what you would call it but um that experience that he had when he was a little boy in the alley of being like, no one will ever tell me what to do again. I am going to set up a scenario where I'm in charge. You cannot tell me what to do. Um, obviously with the weight thing, he was like, I am disgusting, but I'm going to say it first. I'm going to let you know that I know this about myself and I'm going to make a joke of it. And uh, that just both of those things had dramatic impacts on his life. And he does a really good job of sharing his own story and I think, uh, in his own words, talking about how there's a tendency to say, yes, but my traumatic experience isn't as bad as the one that I heard about this person have. And he said that was a protective measure that he took for a long time. And what his therapist told him was that trauma is trauma. And uh, what is in, important- In terms of not addressing it for- 30 plus 50 years or yeah. whatever it was. He just kept telling himself that his doesn't count because there's much worse trauma in the world. That was one of the ways in which he kept separate from it, I think. Um, but I thought that it was awesome. I thought he uh, he now has, he, uh, he went on a whole podcast tour when he, when he started to lose weight about how critical that was and how that was really good. And he had a widow maker. I think he had a widow maker or heart attack and, and then has since like gotten his health in order mm. and then had this other like sort of mental breakdown and then it started to get his mental life in order and seems like he is uh in the same way that he was for um like physical health going to try to go out and make a bunch of um share his story in a way that that helps other people which i thought was really cool i text not texted i, I DM'd. instagram dm'd him to try to get him on the podcast uh because i resonated with a lot of the things that he said and um yeah, I don't know if you that just share that as a story. You can check out the video. I was moved by it. Um, he 
got to a point where his mental health deteriorated because these things were coming up and he wasn't unaware of them. And then the therapist helped. Is this, am I understanding that correctly? I don't think that he went to talk about these particular things was my recollection. It was that his men, he just felt like he was going crazy. I just like not sleeping and all, all these other things were going on. I don't, I believe it was other things. And then it was uncovered that, yeah, this was the at source this of it. Inpatient facility that he went to. Wow, that they sort of uncovered this as, and they encouraged him and gave him permission to take what he deemed to be small, insignificant, unimportant things and share them and talk about them. And through that process, he feels like he saved his life. Wow. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. So, just really cool to see someone of his stature. Um, Never know what someone's carrying too. You thought he liked hockey jerseys and being fat and it was a part of his shtick. Well, that like, it was a part of his shtick. It was. Yeah, I a, guess the shtick is the thing that was not authentic. And he talks, you reminding me, about the other guy, this guy that he invented. Yeah. There was him and there was this other guy, the other guy who would get up on stage and crack the joke about himself. and Backwards hat, beard, he, hockey yes. jersey. Uh, and that fed off of the validation that he could get back from the crowd because of how repugnant and disgusting he felt. And what he said was in this facility, there was nothing for that other guy there. Like the reason that he knew that he existed was because he's like the other guy that he had played and been and become and inhabited so much that he almost lost track of himself. There was just for 30 days, there was nothing for that guy. There was no validation. There was no crowd. There was no cheering. There was no um, uh, comedy nights to go to go speak to or anything like that. There was um, him was what was asked to be there for yeah, 30 and days. only space for this other person that's been here in the background the whole time to mm-hmm. finally come out and uh, speak up. Yeah, and uh, like I've been banging on the door and ruining your life for the last so many years, but right now I've been coming up. What do you mean? It sounds like it came to a, a tipping point. I don't because I don't know the specifics of the situation and whether he was losing sleep, really depressed, mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts, or like what symptoms were coming up as this person was being denied. Like the part of him that was denied um, finally got way too much to handle that he finally seeked out. Like, but I'm just recognizing that that part of him um, was done hanging out in the background. Yes, and yeah, and that I think unfortunately. Uh, which is people's coping mechanisms. Well, there's there's the fortunate and the unfortunate. The good news is that coping mechanisms can get you through a lot. They can get you, they can propel you to fame. They can propel you to power. They can give you enough resources to be able to check into an inpatient facility mm-hmm. when you do break down. Um, and unfortunately, I guess that's the fortunate. The flip side of that is that uh, you can go your whole life existing in a coping mechanism that is societally cheered on and supported and... Uh, that that can be the end of your story is is you can go through life as quote unquote the other guy. Yeah, it makes me long. think of uh, like what's going on with Andrew Tate. It's like, what are your thoughts on <laughs> the just got out of jail? We watched a twenty minute video yeah. and it seemed very performative in my point of view. Without going into too much details surrounding the case, whether he should be guilty or not, what is your take on him as what you see as a person or a shtick or a? Um, I think when I, so I don't know a ton about Andrew Tate, but I watched what he called his final video. Uh, My impression of him is that he, 
watch that video, which I will briefly talk about because I talked about it before, where he tells the story of being on a school bus, getting bullied, cracking the kid in the face with his like metal lunchbox, went home. His dad said nothing to him, took him to a store, bought him a new lunchbox and said, I will buy you as many lunchboxes as you need. And when he has told stories about his dad, which I think that there's truth in, um, he's very supportive. His, his, his dad as many ex- lunchboxes as he needs. Yeah. And, and he tells story of like, you know, when he would hesitate or make a wrong move in chess, his dad told, you know, in the real world, you hesitate, you die. Like there was, there's this um, warrior mentality that was instilled in him, which uh, I believe his dad felt was necessary for him and, you know, may have been necessary in the neighborhood his dad grew up in and that he grew up in. And, um, continues to be necessary in the life that he has made for himself where like to be if if you threw me in jail for the amount of time that he was in jail i'd have fucking broken man like you need you need rigidity and solidity to survive i think uh those sorts of experiences you know you would there there's a use for that level of toughness that he clearly has Mm -hmm. um i think unfortunately he has continues to call into his life situations where that toughness is required because he has been unable to, uh, you could call it softly, more openly, vulnerably adapt to the uh, potential of his new life, which is you don't have to wind up in these horrible situations. You don't like when he talks about business, you, you don't have to lie to your employees about the fact that you're not paying them the same amount as you and pretend that, you're paying taxes when really you're just cutting the tax man out and taking their share for yourself. And you know, yeah, which is something he literally which is something said that he, that he talks about. Yeah. Um, the video that we watched, he uh, took the vice reporter that made the documentary on him and uh, had him fly out to his house in Romania uh, with a box of chocolates uh, and then didn't let him in to do the interview, which I confess as you're watching, it's funny. It's there's a level of, um, prankster energy that is like funny uh, in it and also I, I i get it because he feels that this guy wronged him in in the way that he represented him in the thing but it's it's also very it's needlessly vindictive which is to what it to what end um let's assume that this guy screwed you like why why strike back put him on an airplane make him do this like this well, performative like you- i'm above you you bow down give me chocolates thing that um, only arises if you're not okay with your, within yourself. Would you say that's your worldview? I mean, that certainly it's seems the thing. If you're unnecessary, if you, it seems unnecessary. If you're okay with your millions of dollars and uh, the support you have in your home, you wouldn't need a nameless reporter who said some, who made that interview to to suffer. He talks about you wouldn't need his suffering. Yes, I agree. He talks about how okay he is and how good things are, but that that callousness, even if the guy, even if I, if we accept from his perspective that this guy wronged you, mm-hmm. um, I don't, why? It, 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 I don't, the, the punishment that he inflicted, the, the groveling that he asked for from that guy, the, I, I just go, why? Um, so yeah, what is my read? I don't know the guy, I don't know the details of the case, but I saw that and I went, he is funny. He does make me laugh. I can I can see that he is playing up stuff, but that there is collateral damage that seems like 
he seems totally disconnected from. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that 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 whole view of the world is what he has had since he was little. It's what propelled him to make a lot of money in ways that are absolutely shady because he's talked about how he lied to women that he worked with and took money that wasn't his, uh, avoided taxes. He's talked about how um, they didn't need him, but it was his job to convince them that they did. So like he's he's a shady dealer by his own admission. The way that he teaches people to operate is like that. I don't know the details of this particular case, um, but to be where he is at and still operating in that punishment sort of mentality is he still lives in a war zone you know and i think i think that's that's how he feels and i think that's also similar to what he's created like he is now beleaguered on all sides for he he might go to jail rightfully or wrongfully i don't know Mm -hmm. um but yeah he's he's created those situations that call for that hard kid who cracked the other kid in the face with the suit the, the lunch case and that's what had to be done. Um, yeah. That was the only way through that situation. And he's continued to create situations of which he's going to crack people in the face and he'll be the biggest, strongest lunchbox toting face cracker that ever, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that ever existed. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my limited perspective on him. I felt compassion for the reporter because I felt like he's just, not just trying to do his job, but needs the Andrew Tate interview in order to stay relevant. Yeah. And now it's like, that sucks to need that. I've been lucky enough in a large part of my life to work for myself and need Facebook to allow me to run ads, mm-hmm. which is like my boss in some sense. But, uh, you know, to deal with that trickster energy and have to be like, I have to stand out front of this guy's house with a... Uh, chocolates yeah as he giggles on the other side of the phone and i know something's up because i'm standing here with chocolates but i still need this interview and like come back at 2 30 yeah yeah it's like oh god okay i and i do i like the way that that in that thing was cut when i watched it i went look i have my own reasons for just going i'm not sure about this andrew take yeah but the vice documentary was cut so um aggressively like i don't know what that guy's role was in the making of it outside of the reporting of it but if he was connected to that it's you know you released it when Andrew Tate was at his lowest and you capitalized on that now you want to use the fact that you have his phone number to get the other interview it's like I I don't do you think he says he wants him to tell his side of the story it's like it seems like you really think that he uh I'm not gonna say the word essayed several women Mm -hmm. like don't talk to him Again, I know you're a reporter, but you you, you seem to have, um, in that documentary that I watched, you, so you seem to have a perspective. Mm-hmm. You don't seem to be talking, like he sat down with some of the women, I think in prior times that have occurred to him, accused him of essay, and seemed to connect empathetically with them. Um, maybe don't say that you want to get his side of the story, because I don't think you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah. I think you want the views. And it seems like you think that he did it. And if you don't, I don't know why you cut the documentary in the way that you did. Um, yeah, don't try to make, I, if I would like, and maybe I don't understand this guy, but it's like, it seems like you're trying to make your bread off of someone that you despise. And that uh, 
you you have invited this situation to your life where you've now flown to Romania with a box of chocolates to like kiss up to this guy that you hate apparently that you that you but that's that a lot of us projecting that we assume he hates him just by based the on the way the documentary was cut which he might not have had yeah, yeah. he might not have done um but, but if that's the case that might have been crazy. to someone else yeah like fly to a box of chocolates for the man i hate yeah um so yeah that's my thoughts do you have any thoughts not even one <laughs> um all right so we got that other things that were interesting uh i had a couple of friends who did meditation retreats in the last couple yeah. of weeks uh, and I had reflections after I had listened to them. So with regards to the retreat, they were seven day retreats or one guy went to a seven day, one guy just, just a three day retreat. And in listening to them, they had a lot of value each from it. But what I took and just listening to them is one, the first thought was I really enjoy being around people who like their own company. It, it is such a such an easy thing to do to be around a person who can sit by themselves for an extended period of time. Um, and that I want to become someone that is more like that, uh, that can sit quietly in a room and find peace and happiness makes relationships, not this thing that you go to, to alchemically create happiness from, but it's like, no, I came full. I showed up full. You showed up full, we're good. Um, versus what I have felt like, and this this came up in um, a number of areas, but like it can feel like there's a lot of areas in life where people don't have it or they think that there's an it to have. They don't have, they know they don't have that thing. And so they go around fronting that they have that thing to get into the room with someone that they think has that thing so they can do it. And so like concretely, I felt it with um, some of the podcast stuff and this guy that we talked about with Andrew Tate. He doesn't have it, it being the story, the thing, the whatever. And so he's got to like put on a smiley face and be kind to this guy that he doesn't like and like try to get the thing that he wants. Uh, it felt like by being inauthentic and by kissing ass and, you know, tr trying to get into the room with the guy that has it versus meditation feels like it lets you know that you have it. You have everything that you need, you've got. And when two people that have it get together, it's a much nicer experience than what so much of Los Angeles or um, even sometimes we were uh, talking to some people that like reached out and wanted to be on the podcast. And it felt like this is someone that doesn't have it and they are looking to get on a bunch of podcasts to associate and get clout that they can then pull back to their own channel and have it. So their goal is to go do a blitz of media things so that they may acquire it rather than developing it or selling a bunch of books or having a message that people come to. They want to create like a, a, a fizzling buzz of like they're everywhere at once to create the illusion that- Of it. Of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm using the word it in different meanings. I think what it actually is is a sense of you're okay. And then there's another it, which is like people want to be around you, which I think are deeply connected to one another. And there's so much, so many people that don't think they have the thing that other people want to be around. So they go to put themselves next to other people that, uh, that people do want to be around. And you know, it can get sloppy and complicated. And I didn't, I don't like that feeling versus. Um, yes. Yeah, so let's talk specifics because there are, those are two different things. 
So in the meditation retreat, it was nice to have a person who also felt filled up in their own. It was so nice experience to just and be like, "You're good. I'm good. Oh my god, we're just having a good time." Listen to my friends that sat and felt the joy and peace uh, in a room was like really nice, yeah. and it made me want to be more like that because I have both of those people inside of me. Uh-huh. I have the guy that has it, and I have the guy that doesn't have it mm-hmm. inside of me. The guy that has it show up here talk maybe it's a great podcast maybe it's not move on with my day the guy that doesn't have it deeply concerned if the comments are good or bad how we did was it a one out of ten or isn't it um what's going on in this particular arena of performance and uh i want to cultivate more of the energy of the of the okayness yeah with with the silence in a room and and being alone um so that is, I have resisted going to any sort of meditation retreat. I don't know that I would do a traditional one because there's other things about them that I might not like, but um, feeling more called towards silent meditation, um, low stimulation experience is as, as a means of getting to what is, what I carry always. Mm. Uh, so. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last point I want to make, which you brought up in the end, was that uh, podcasts are trying to get on podcasts. And the it thing is like they were trying to market that they might have it mm-hmm. rather than being maybe a beacon in which people flock to. And then the marketing can come in after. Mm-hmm. And you said this. And so I'll repeat it is a good example would be like Alex Hermosi went and acquired the skills that were valuable and that were we can say for this it. Mm-hmm. And then people flock to him once he released a 99 cent book. Yeah. <laughs> And didn't need to do a bunch of buzz and press. He simply uh, acquired the skills, showed that he had value, and and, and people flocked to him. And I think that's a good distinction to have. It's like, I yeah, I can uh, get you teed me up. Can I take it? Yeah. Alex Hormozzi worked hard on his business, mm-hmm. learned a tremendous amount of things, mm-hmm. wrote a book that was let's call it this thick, then cut it, then cut it, then cut it, then cut yeah, it, and yeah, distilled yeah. it down to the essence yes. of what was great and put it on Amazon for 99 cents and only talked about it through people that asked him directly or on his, what at the time. Through f- free videos that only could be discovered if they were good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was videos on YouTube. Um, that he which was, is free and people have to click on them. Which he wasn't paying for ads yes. for and he wasn't doing this. Yeah. That's one way of doing it. And honestly, like uh, Charisma on Command, you know, the writing of the book and the thing that, it gener- it grew from that thing. I went out in the world, tried to figure out what worked, what didn't. Definitely did read other books, but everything was, it flowed through my own life experimentations and my own stuff came inevitably to the videos that I made, the, the blog articles that I wrote. Versus there's this, like, we got hit up by what might be a wonderful person, but uh, what felt like a New York Times bestseller churn um, where the way that a New York bestseller times bestseller is created is we start with a hook title and then we get a PR agency and we uh, sketch out what needs to be in the book and we get it done pretty freaking quickly. Maybe it's not even, I don't know if it's written by the person, but some of these are just ghost written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the real focus is on that first week push where we got to get on every podcast 
And in addition to that, we're probably going to do some shady stuff like buy a bunch. We're going to take the marketing budget buy our and own books. buy our own books or have giveaways where we're giving away the book. Or if you buy 100 books, you get to go to the author's luncheon. So we're not going to try to create a book that people read a year from now. That's not even like the book is meaningless, actually. What it is, is this is a vehicle to try to get you on stage somewhere to make money about, you know, your, for your keynote speech or something else. And then down the road, just to have that number one New York Times bestseller. And then to say that you're a, you're a or New York Times bestselling author, it's to figure out, so rather than having the New York Times bestseller be something that comes last on it. Like, I don't know if Alex, Alex might not be a New York Times bestseller, yeah. which is incredible because more people have read his book, been impacted and done anything than I guarantee you the person that we're talking about with, with no offense directly to them, yeah. but just to this system of yes. the way that it's done. Um, and the way that it was pitched to us is this book, to be clear, is not released. And they said, this book is going to be a New York Times bestseller. And we looked and it's like, this is what they, they crank these things. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know that many people will read or remember or, but that does not seem to be the goal. Yeah. The goal seems to be the glorification of. Um, a sick Tinder bio. <laughs> not a Tinder bio, but like, yeah, a trademarkable phrase that is the title of the book. And uh series of speeches and you yeah. know a reason to get on uh, other people's podcasts which i i didn't i felt having just watched the andrew tate video where i saw this reporters like i don't want to exist in that ecosystem yeah i don't know my role in that ecosystem as somebody with a small podcast or if it got bigger but like i never want to get to the point where i am a platform for random authors that i that don't care about me who i haven't read their book to talk about their their spiel that they're going to go do on 30 other podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never, ever, ever, ever want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so that was <laughs> a little learning. And I say all of this with like the thing that I was thinking at the same time is like, what's funny is there's elements of this book pitch. Cause they give you like a little press Synopsis. kit yeah. that I was like, I like some of this, like mm-hmm. I like what's in here. And it's like uh, this human, if this were done and I don't blame, you know, the person that wrote it, I think, could have an interesting conversation with me. But I'm like, the odds are it's going to be 40 of the same conversations that I'm going to be slotted in between one podcast and two podcasts. And then, you know, over these days, like we were given the times that this person was available. And it was just so, um, it was so clearly going to lack depth and authenticity Yep, that I didn't want to participate, which is a bummer because I was like, there are things here that I do find interesting, want to talk about. And I would love to be clear. I want an advanced copy of the book. If I'm going to do this interview, I want to read it cover to cover. Yeah. Why would I, why would I not read your book cover to cover if we're going to sit It's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. But like the idea that I would even read the book wasn't even mentioned. No. It's crazy. It was crazy. That was the other thing is like, of course, you're not going to read this book. You're going to pretend you're going to give, we're going to give you a couple of notes and questions that you ask. Ah, man, the whole thing was just the factory nature of it was yeah. um, disturbing. I yeah. don't know. I find it, I found it uh, untasteful. Yeah. Oh, this was a random thing. Someone asked in our Patreon, because I talked about the fight, flight, freeze reaction Mm. and how I, as a kid, realized now that there was a number of situations in my life where I went into, like, freeze was one. Kevin Smith also talked about this, that his reaction was freeze. Um, Didn't know it and only started to uncover it later in some of my psychedelic journeys where I could literally feel frozen physically, but also, like, ice cold in my body. Mm. Um, And they asked, how do you help if you're, you're a parent and you have a kid that you think might be experiencing that, what do you do on the other oh, end wow. of that? Um, 
and thought about it. For me, when I reflect at the time, what freeze feels like is what I wish I had was someone who would have just sat with me. Yeah, like being thawed out nearly. Just thawed me. Just, I need just to thaw out. allowed me to thaw. Yeah. And that's what I, that was eventually, you know, with a facilitator, like what the process sort of looked like was a slow thawing process. And, and what got in the way of it was one, needing the kid to explain or tell you exactly what was going on inside of themselves. Hey, you okay? Like checking. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, boom. Well, that, like that's what I would have said at the time. I could have spoken. I'm okay. But to have the insight to know there's a disconnection here that this kid is feeling and just to sit and just be near them for a period of time with like low stimulation or if I wanted to walk away and like fiddle with the toy or something like that to allow me to do that, but just like keep presence with a child, I think is a very powerful way to, um, to move through that. And the other, um, the other realization that I had to have internally that I think a parent can do for a child is that I felt that the freeze reaction was something that I needed to get through. I need to push through to the other side of this reaction because this ain't it. This is what we want. You're disconnected. Can we get back to the good, the good times, you know? And that was actually some of what kept me in the freeze reaction, that it is not something to be pushed through, gotten through. It is something to be loved, understood, um, to hold compassion for and not like, oh, this is an aspect of my kid that I don't like. So let me put in the perfunctory amount of time that is required so that we can get back to, you know, the little bundle of joy that I prefer to have. Um, yeah. And so I just say that because internally, when I would enter the freeze reaction, one of the things that kept it going longer was the part of me that was like, let's get out of this. And the way that I got out of the freeze reaction was, well, my body's frozen, but I can pop into my head and I can still function. Mm -hmm. I can still walk, talk, interact, win, you know, succeed. But I'm disconnected from the neck down. I'm frozen from the neck down. Yeah. To what I had to do was stay in this, for me, which is deeply uncomfortable because I hadn't done it, stay with my body through this painfully slow, it felt like, even though it wasn't really that slow at all, but it felt intolerably slow, um, thawing process of like and every now and then I would take a deep breath and go oh my god and, and then freeze up again um so if you are a parent um presence patience and that this is not something to get through it's something to be loved would be the uh any interesting thoughts on the other ones versus flight versus flight and flight yeah um I don't Anything that comes up when you're like, you got a kid who's in fight mode or in flight mode? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that I've, I, I definitely have the fight in me. I have that reaction as well. I haven't found a good, um, uh, the like real deep healing experience of the fight thing. Like I cool down over time, but I don't know that I have a real different way of being. Flight. Um, f Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily have good ones for either of those. Interesting. But the freeze one was just one that I have direct experience with. Um, we're going to talk now about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which we saw. We're going to talk about story, and to do that, we need to do some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, you do want to 
goodbye. We miss you. Come back later. Or you could just bring your popcorn here. <laughs> um, or you can hear about the story. So I'm not going to go into it in detail, but here's what I thought broadly about the story. Um, I thought Critical Drinker, who we are having on the podcast, um, shortly, if you have questions, leave them in our comment section for him. Uh, I thought he nailed it well, which is say that this was the best of the worst last group of Marvel movies, meaning like the recent Marvel movies kind of sucked. This one was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed my time in theater, liked it throughout, um, had some parts that I felt I liked. It lurched a little too wildly between like deep emotional connection and undercutting of that. I thought that, um, and I'll talk specifics here because I'm trying to learn how to write. I thought that Drax's character as comedic relief worked consistently throughout because that's who Drax is. He's kind of Asperger-y. Like he's, he doesn't understand things. He's a little like, and in situations of gravitas, that's who he is. Yes. What didn't work for me was Nebula in situations right after like horrible things was hap- would happen. Now they're on this planet with um, anthropomorphized animals and they're arguing about Drax being on the couch. Meanwhile, Rocket is dying and we have like 24 hours or less to save him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, get off the couch. Like that, that, that just would- that felt so out of character for her. So they set up these stakes and they wanted to have humor um, with, you know, the buttons on the thing, which I did find that those scenes, that one was okay for me. But there was there were moments I was like, you're undercutting the seriousness that you have established in this. And then, and, and then you're telling me it's so fucking serious. Now yes. we have to be really serious about this now. I was like, well, yeah. 10 minutes ago, you guys were joking. Yeah. Um, so that, that felt a little bit um, unearned in some of the comedy scenes is, is uh, was the issue. I thought that the rock, I thought that they also were overstuffed in the amount of things that they tried to do. They had good story beats. I think they had a strong story endings, but I think what they lacked was set up to make some of those endings really hit. The rocket story worked because it had set up, payoff. You know, it had, it had a lot of those pieces in it. And there wasn't any inconsistency with where they were going. It was sort of just intensifying as it went along. Mm-hmm. It was like you started with like a horrifying scene of like this um, basically childlike creature, a raccoon in a cage. And then throughout the story was like, this is going to get dark. Oh, and it's going to where I think it is. It's getting darker and darker and darker. Oh, like it built in yeah. that way where um, then the payoff, which was kind of lame anyway, um, resulted in the two confrontation between the two two big storylines uh like the enemy and and mm-hmm. rocket and it was like that I've, i i saw where we were going you subverted my expectations a little bit but it intensified throughout mm-hmm. um i don't know who's a good who's a good example it was like the opposite i guess peter quills i think there was a couple that were medium i don't think i don't know that any were horrible but um Drax the dad. Now he speaks that. It was just like that. Like, I like the ending of Drax the dad. You're not a story. You're a dad. Payoff from first movie that works. It felt like, and there's kids on the ship and he's going to be goofy and nice. And they sort of set up that, like, what does he do? But it all felt very crammed in there. So like, I could do with that story, but I needed more space for it. Gamora, same thing, which is like, she's really mean to the Guardians really consistently starts to develop some respect for them. I thought that they could have developed um, Peter a little bit more in that moment where they all walked into the hallway and she, she was like not wanting to go where he could have had a moment of just like, I'm not fucking waiting for you. My friend, my friend needs me Yeah, where he could have more powerfully walked away from trying to convince her. And I thought that that could have been underlined a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with Gamora, it was, she's this mean person. And then she's hugging the Ravagers at the end, which is like, 
oh, I'm supposed to accept that off camera in between the last movie and this one, her whole character transformed. That's the lesson here is that I need to watch that movie. That feels like a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, Now she's hugging Sylvester Stallone, who we met for two seconds, you know, earlier in the movie um, after she's been just not a hugger, you know, not not even like, oh, she doesn't like those people. Like she's aggressive and doesn't play well with others. And isn't open to learning about a different version of herself. And now she's this, she's hugging them. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. It just felt like. It says it's, it, they went back and forth between like, we're going to play and make this fake. And we're going to try to build a story at the yeah. same time. And it's like, well, what are we doing? Yeah. Does this scene really matter to the story? Or are we just, Oh, it's just, no, it's just for comic relief. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. All right. Adam Warlock. I th- again, I thought all of these had like a good beginning, a good middle, and a good end. I just wanted a little bit more to pat it. Like Adam Warlock, okay, comes in. He's like a child. His relationship with his mother, I understand. He's His mother is killed in the thing. And then at the end of the movie, he has a little David moment where he touches his, you know, he's, he's God with him and he takes him in and then he's not heard from again. It was all of these I liked. I liked every, the shape of every arc that I was offered. And I felt that Almost only them. Rockets was the one that had enough padding for me to feel satisfied mm. with it. Um, so, I, yeah, I would have taken the same length movie with fewer character arcs, but I guess they felt that they had to sort of give everyone a thing. At the end, Groot, you hear him in, in say something oh. that is not I am Groot. And it's like, I don't know. I, I understand, but it didn't seem um, earned, it, you know. Not in, in this movie. You did it in their past movie. In the first movie, it was We Are Groot felt earned. It yeah. felt right yeah. um, to the moment and to the everything. And this one, they're just talking and he just says that. I don't. It didn't work for me. So yeah. all that said, had a good time at the theater. Um, that, you know, happy that people really enjoyed it. Seems like people love James Gunn's stuff. Yeah. Um, and congratulations to him, man. He's just fucking killing it. He's people, people love his material. Um. I also was trying to like, just as, as we work on our own stuff, um, understand what and why people have forgiveness for like, you know, storytelling lapses that I think, I think you could point to. And I think a lot of people who are a bit more of the critical side and maybe even James Gunn would go, yeah, I didn't have full, the full space to develop this thing. Or maybe some of this was left on the cutting room floor. Why do people have space for that? And I think the answer is like, what I saw in the comments, at least, is that if you can, if you can move someone, it doesn't have to be earned, it doesn't have to be this, but if you can, like, the moment where Peter is saying, like, I'm not going to let him go when he's dying, or the scene where uh, Lila the otter is, is killed, if you can deliver an emotionally moving scene, people will forgive, I think. If, like, if you can make them, you know, as it cuts the other way, too, if you can just make them laugh... Yep. They forgive that the character wasn't fully developed and the plot yep. wasn't all the way there. And if you can make them cry, they'll forgive that That's there wasn't a great way to put it. Perfect. Many of those scenes were just like not moving the story forward, but you made me laugh mm-hmm. or happy or that was fun. Yeah. At least you did something fun with the the yeah. scene. Um, and I was like, we're moving on. We're mo- and and the, the mantis in the pit mm-hmm. breaks out of the pit. The next thing I was like, well, at least we did it in a fun way. Like. Well, that, that was one that I don't think moved people and I thought was Didn't like- Didn't move me at all, but I was like, at least you made it fun. Yeah, that one I was bothered by. <laughs> okay. We're in the pit and now these, and she's like, again, if it, that had been set up a bit more of like, 
I don't know, her tenderness towards animals, which they had like just the thing or like, you know, you never know what someone is going through and you never know why people are being mean. If they delivered that lesson a little bit. They did, Charlie. The mantis are scared of us. Yeah, right. They set it up right there. Maybe they're scared of us. Like, yeah, but if you'd set this up earlier and she'd learned lesson and that, that, that would hit harder. But I don't think anybody cared about that moment one way or the other. I could be wrong. Seems like what I saw in the comments was Rocket, um, the dance scene at the end. I think another cheat code is music, man. Yep. You use, I don't think this movie used it as effectively as the first or second movie. Um, but when you use good tunes, it, it creep moves was people. Well done in the beginning, did you creep, think? Creep was one of the better ones. Um, yeah. So all things that are, uh, I will take under consideration as I try to learn yeah. more about storytelling. Easy for me to criticize James Gunn, but... Uh, yeah, you idiot. <laughs> Only $200 million box office so yeah. far. Last thing that we just recalled was that uh, iDubbbz made a response video. You guys might not oh, have yeah. seen, but there was a little bit of... Uh, iDubbbz has a thing called Creator Clash. He's uh, done it twice now where he gets a bunch of YouTubers together. They have a boxing match. Money goes to charity. There was drama this year because one of the creators was kicked out shortly before the event. A guy named Froggy Fresh who does uh, very good music, honestly. I like his stuff. And... Um, there was drama because was he kicked out because he made a joke about iDubbbz's, uh, I think she's his wife, wife. Now. I don't know if she's fiance, wife. Really so. Um, Anissa B, uh, having an OnlyFans account or was he kicked out because he was associating with someone that iDubbbz didn't like. There was all this thing. Uh, and now iDubbbz came out and gave his his take on it. A couple of things that I took from it. Um, one, iDubbbz used to be a very provocative guy. He used to be very critical of other people. He uh, used, you know, slurs frequently and is often, you know, one quote that he had is it's either all okay or none of it's okay. In terms of speech. Yes. And has since, you know, he's done an an interview with Anthony Padilla where he was just like, I don't, I realized I didn't like the fan base that I was cultivating. Um, And so one of the things that I have uh, tenderness for him is that he seems to really want to change and move past the type of stuff that he used to do. Mm -hmm. And um, there is just a section of the commenters in the internet that is not down for that and uh, wants to remind him of things that he said before uh, consistently. (laughs) And I just have like, ooh, that's tough. You know, growing in public, especially if people are going to point to who who you were, is a very Mm. challenging experience um, if that's not allowed. Like, and I, the other thing, if I were to uh, sort of bolster their side is, you have not taken those videos down. You continue to make money off of those uh, videos. Like, nice for you. This is the criticism of many comedians to like bust down the doors with offensive, edgy, upsetting comedy. And say, no one come through those. And then, well, to be fair, I don't, yeah, to say then when other people do it, to be like, oh, now people can't participate in your event because that's mean. Mm. Like, you know, meanwhile, you you got big off of being um, critical is, is the gentle way of putting it. Yeah. Mean sometimes is another, but like, Um, whether appropriate or not. So that's, you know, I I watched that. Another thing that seemed um, challenging about the whole thing was that uh, I give him credit, which I think is true, is there are people that say things like, ever since he got with that girl, he's fallen apart, or ever since he did, you know. And I think he deserves, whether you like what he's done or don't, full credit slash responsibility for the person that he has become. (laughs) Like stop blaming his wife for the way that he has behaved Mm. since he met his wife. She might have 
catalyzed growth in him. She might not. She might have catalyzed if you view it as regression in him, but like that's on him. Um, and so I think it's very easy. And I've done this in my own life to be like, you know, friends of mine have met someone. It's like, oh, it's her fault. She did it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, that, that, that's not how it works. That person can activate a latent thing present in your friend or favorite content creator, but it's their responsibility, yeah. who, who they become. Yeah. Um, though it might feel easier to be like, no, they, they are the old part. They are the old version that I knew. And then they've been corrupted. It's like, no, there was always this egg, this seed, again, w- without judgment of what that seed grows into, um, that was in there. And, and if you've got an issue with that, take it up. With yeah, inevitably his choice to go with um, it. The, uh, the other thing that, man, I feel I saw was like, it is the beginning stages of vulnerability are very tough to feel out publicly. They are not. It's in his niche. There's other niches. Fair enough. Like spirituality niches is you get it on there on your Instagram. Line. Yeah, that's a good guys, point. Hey, everybody, I've been doing crystal <laughs> healing. All the comments are going to be, we love our Chris. It's, yeah. she, he cultivated an audience that was about shitting on other people and policing them doing things. I don't uh, where hypocrisy but, and double speak and not being totally coherent in your worldview is forever. a huge is a huge yeah yeah issue. So that's a good point. Yeah, um, in his niche, that's it's it's tough to be. It's really tough to be vulnerable when you've when you've gone after other people for their inconsistencies. Yes, um, and then I do think that he um, a number of times uh, there's a handful where he said like Froggy like doesn't respect women or something like that like. Where he, he summarized his entire argument as to why Froggy was being mean to his family. Yeah. As Froggy doesn't respect all women. Yeah. Which is not fair because even if you disagree with Froggy's perspective, you think he's wrong, you think he um, has inappropriate judgments of women who do OnlyFans, that is not fair to characterize as doesn't respect women. Mm-hmm. Which you might say, which he did at one point, is he doesn't respect sex workers, mm-hmm. um, which I think at least you could probably broadly both both agree on that uh, characterization or broadly. But yeah, there were times when it was, um, I could feel his emotionality coming through and painting him in a way that was more easily condemnable, which is he doesn't respect women. And I don't know that that um, shoe fits. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like he cracked a number of jokes about OnlyFans and girls who do OnlyFans and, or guys who let their girlfriends do OnlyFans, um, which I don't think is fair to characterize as people who don't respect women. They have an issue with OnlyFans or sex work or something else. And then you can, you know, debate, yeah, yeah. have conflict on that field. But uh, it was an overreach and I don't think it served him well. Yeah, I think people pointed it as a, like a, you're kind of just yeah. being. And then the piece that I actually do feel is... um. He has no obligation to work with anyone that he doesn't want to work with for the simple reason of it's his event and he doesn't have to. Yeah. And people are like, be professional. It's like, fuck that. Fuck being professional. <laughs> you know, like this is this is a creator-driven event where what is this is you are not Johnson and Johnson interacting with PepsiCo. Like you are all people brands that are out there interacting and uh if you don't want him to come because of things that he said about your girlfriend or because he's associating with your arch nemesis or whatever, like um, you actually, in my opinion, don't need justification beyond that. Now to the, the internet, fans, the fans might, disagree. 
the fans disagree, but yeah. I, but I was, I was actually surprised. And I think, I think these people, I mean, must have not made businesses. Like the idea that you are obligated to spend time, interact, pay, work with, with someone that you don't like in an event that you are creating is just like, I no. Uh, no now there was one thing there were there might have been some shadiness about whether he threatened to sue and then said he wasn't going to sue i don't know um that whole stuff but yeah those were a couple of the things that i um that i took from it and another thing i don't know how he's coping with it but it seemed like he did not make that video from a place of extreme calculation which i thought was really interesting he said at the beginning and i believe him i do not know how this video is going to be received Mm. and i think some of his earliest content was like i know what notes to hit with my audience to get them upset with someone else or whatever and this one wasn't planned in that way did create some sort of you know oh this is stupid and bullshit within the audience um but i actually think probably for him counts as valuable significant growth to like my thoughts aren't maybe 100 percent the way you like them they're not um they might evolve over time i might look at this and go, I agree with parts and not others, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not going to be 100% buttoned up against every single expected incoming attack. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that I think is probably growth for him. Growth uh, will suck for a period of time as people people poke holes in it, but inevitably if he continues with that, he'll be able to be more vulnerable on the internet or not do anything on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) Just do his creator clash and not, Appear on the internet. Yeah, and he said, which I, which is great for him, man. He said, "Creator Clash is the best thing I've ever done. It's brought more people into my life that I, happy that I, that I know, and uh, I love it." Which yeah. is like fucking awesome, man. Great. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was one other piece that I thought. Well, I don't know if this is because this is such uh, inside baseball, but maybe we can draw it bigger. There was a moment in the video where he paused on some of the text messages that he had sent to the other creator when he was notifying him that he was nervous because this other creator was going to train before his match with IDubs' arch nemesis, essentially. And I paused him and I read the text messages. And what I saw was IDubs, who was like, seemed to be working on vulnerability, was saying, hey, I'm a bit worried and afraid and like taking ownership over his own anxiety about this. Can you explain to me what's going on? The other guy, Froggy, was pretty short with him and uh, didn't basically energetically told him, I'm not going to attend to your emotions at all. Even if you own them, even if you show up directly with them, even if you come from a place of not attack but question, I'm not taking on any of your emotions. And so Froggy kept responding, am I allowed to do what are you cutting me from the card? Just tell me if I, essentially, am I allowed to do what you're cutting from the card? He's like, I'm not saying that I'm cutting you from the card. I'm just asking because I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. We have some history, he and I, and I, so you're telling me that I can't do it? You know, it was just like, he had no, he offered him no compassion at all. Yeah. And I thought that IDubs showed up at least via text in a way that was like, dude, like, He's he's owning his anxiety. Yeah, it this. feels like there's a way to navigate this where everyone ends up happy with a few words. Froggy did not really show him compassion is what I saw in those text messages. He was, don't tell me I can't talk to him. You're telling me I can't talk to him. It's like, bro, like you're leaping ahead. He's telling you that he's really anxious. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you could meet him and tell him, I get it, feel your anxiety, I care about your anxiety. I have these thoughts, questions, concerns, needs. I think they probably 
maybe could have worked it out so that Froggy got to go train there, but let him know, I hear you, I feel you, and I'm caretaking your experience. I'm not going to betray your trust. But that, it was, so you're telling me I can't go, you know, immediately was his thing. And IDEBS came back a couple times, and then I understand why he was just like, this guy doesn't give a fuck about me. Like, this guy, this guy I, I offered him my feelings, and he gave me, um, you're trying to control me, <laughs> you know, and, and so, so you're saying you're trying to control me by telling me your feelings. And it was just like, yeah, there, there is a way that we could navigate this potentially. And I felt it at least in, or read it in those text messages. Yeah. Um, and it was funny. There was another text that he got that was from IDUPS' wife that was like, hey, could we, um, Ian's not around. What's going on? Can you let me know a little bit about your perspective? Or it was something broadly to that effect. And he was like, and then she sent me this manipulative text and like and he, he read it and it was like, it's hey, like, hope you're doing well. Yeah. And it's like, look, I'm not saying that it's people can cloak manipulation in kind words. You're not wrong. But like you really didn't give a lot of chance <laughs> here yeah. for to like you didn't come in curious or like I and I thought that there was more room for could have been more room for curiosity yeah. of, of maybe they're manipulating me, but it's not definitely not guaranteed by these sorts of texts. Like. Yeah. What I, what I sense was this guy's fucking afraid he's, yeah. and he's telling you he's afraid. It's like, he's afraid. So can you, can you help calm him down? That doesn't mean that you can't go. Um, yeah. but of you know, these are for me just reading a handful of text messages that were on screen for a short period of time. But, uh, and yeah, you don't have to work with someone that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't do that if it's your event. So. Yeah. I feel like the audience has like a, they buy a ticket and they think they have ownership, ownership, voting power. And in some sense, they do because uh, if you promise this person's on the card, if you take it to the extreme, Floyd Mayweather's having a fight and I buy a Floyd Mayweather ticket and then he gets pulled from the card and the promoter says, it's because it's my event, I was throwing it anyway. And you're just like, the reason I bought this and paid you the money was for this creator. Mm -hmm. I can... Just a handful of people that were in that thing and I think they should have been offered refunds. Yeah, offer. Oh yeah, and that, that would solve it. That's easy, like, that's they, easy. If, yeah. you, if you bought this for Froggy Fresh or you, you can just get, re, you can get a refund. Yes. Um, they should have offered that. I don't know that they did. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that would completely solve my objection. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, you, no, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then be like, oh this. no, this doesn't suck. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was that. Anything nice. else on that? Uh, no, we got Critical Drinker coming in a week or two. We have a, a bunch of guests, actually. A lot of guests month. coming up, so we won't see you guys in this format for a while. If you want to see more, join our Patreon. We'll be doing questions shortly, and I think that's it for this week. That's it. Peace. Peace.